We want to welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burrows. And I'm TJ Darty, And we are the Reformed Informants. March 22nd, still no baby. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you, man. I, <laughs> Chloe, Chloe and I were in that same position with both of our first two. Just wait, 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 wait. And um, both of them went past the due date. So I'm not sure you want any advice from me. Man, he, well, he may be holding off tomorrow. March 23rd is my birthday. So, you, I mean, this could this could go down this way, man. Hey, happy early birthday in case I forget. Just want to make that that goes on the record. Just want to make <laughs> sure that's that's clearly stated. Man, I'm slowly creeping up to uh, the big four zero. Man, it's uh, it's really disgusting to be honest. What what which, what is this for you? What's this about to be? This is number thirty eight. Wow, you are creeping up there. Gosh, that's terrible. Yeah. You little baby over there, you just turned thirty. <laughs> no, thirty one, man. I got some age on me. It's... Gosh, you probably feel like you're fifty after pastoring oh. this year and dealing with COVID yeah. and all those things. Yeah, in the past twelve months, I have aged a full decade, no question about it. So I'm I'm probably right there next to you. So I got I got I got very little youth left in in this body right now. <laughs> Well, the mics are back on, man, and uh, we're going to bring the pneumatology series to a close uh, w- with this uh, final episode um, with the baby's due date coming up with a lot of things on the schedule for you in the coming weeks. Uh, we-, we felt like it would be best to wrap things up with this episode, and then we'll pick back up uh, hopefully uh, sometime uh, in May uh, possibly early June, uh, sometime around that time frame, man. But what a series this has been. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, man. We had all kinds of ideas. It was going to be a few episodes and it was going to be 10. Now it ended up being seven. We easily could have done more. And I'm looking forward to being able to come back and answer some of the, the questions that I think we kind of pose to one another and, and unpacking those, uh, th- those types of things down the road. Um, we, of course, We've not covered everything that could be said uh, about the Holy Spirit, not even pretending to. Uh, and the good thing is, is we can continue to come back and to address those things down the road. So it, it's been a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to having a short little recovery. You know, you get to uh, enter into that phase of having the second child. And I'm going to play some play some catch up on a few things uh, before we're able to get back in at some point, uh, you know, May, June, somewhere around in there. So. Uh, looking forward to it. And uh, if you're for those listening, maybe you've you've skipped ahead or uh, we've got previous episodes. Be a good time to go back. Maybe go uh, review some things. Uh, of course, we we've plugged other podcasts and other episodes, things that we would encourage you to listen to, uh, just to continue to stay in it, and then uh, hopefully be able to join us uh, whenever we hop back on. Yeah, man. I, I think not only does this wrap up our pneumatology series, but I think this probably wraps up season two. Uh, mm-hmm. of the reformed informants um I, I think normally we pop into a next season uh in the may june time frame and so we'll be back for season three um i don't know exactly what direction we're going to go there i think we have a couple standalone episodes that we'll want to uh probably kick us off with i know we talked about the gospel and social media so that may be the first one uh, when mm-hmm. we come back um and then we're going to move into uh, another category or where do you think we're going to go you, any thoughts? My guess is, my guess is, it's time for soteriology. 
I mean, it's just, it, I, I think it's time. We, we, we've, we've previewed it. We've referenced it. And, uh, there's, there's a, uh, I just, I can't wait. I'm getting excited about it. Uh, 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 soteriology and ecclesiology, you know, those are my two, uh, my, my favorite two uh, categories. So you're going to have to, you have to maybe bear with me as I begin to preach, uh, on a regular basis, whenever we hop back on the mics. Of course, you've been doing that all along. I've, I, I can't help myself. <laughs> well, before we get into the episode, uh, let, let's recap real big, uh, real quick. Um, so when we kicked off the pneumatology ster- series, we wanted to make the point that uh, the Holy Spirit is the most misunderstood member of the Trinity, or he's the most forgotten member of the Trinity. And we really wanted to try and highlight him, uh, his person and his work. Uh, we wanted to define um, that he truly is God. We wanted to attest to his deity uh, because the scriptures do so. And then uh, we wanted to talk about his work, uh, specifically his work. Um, really, we, I mean, we wanted to make that as applicable as possible. So his work in the life of a believer, I think that was one of our uh, focuses uh, with that particular episode. Um, and then we moved into... Um, a real, I would say a really forgotten aspect of the Holy Spirit. We talked about mm-hmm. uh, the spiration or procession of the Holy Spirit, and we really tried to nail down the Trinity, the economic Trinity, in terms of the Holy Spirit and how he relates to God the Father and, and God the Son. After that episode, we hopped into Galatians chapter 5. We did um, a, a biblical exposition of, uh, of Galatians 5 where we examined the fruit of the Spirit, uh, as we've always said, uh, we really enjoy doing those episodes. Uh, try to plug one of those in in uh, just about every series that we do. Um, really, really enjoy those. And then last time we 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 chatted, we discussed the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we talked about spiritual gifts, and um, and in that conversation, Lance, we kind of we kind of teased the episode that we're going to do today. Uh, in the sense that we referenced uh, the way that that you had laid it out for us, we referenced those uh, permanent gifts and those temporary gifts, uh, and and we we just kind of indicated that there's some controversy. There's a conversation needed to be had about those temporary gifts, and that's where we're going to go today. So, um, r- review for us that maybe somebody. Uh, didn't get to listen to that episode, or perhaps uh, maybe they did and and just kind of need a refresher. So review w- those categories of permanent and temporary, and in particular, uh, where we're going with this episode. Yeah, well, if you haven't listened to uh, Pneumatology Part 6, when we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, go back and listen to that episode, because that's really, I don't know, that, that's a lot of the background work uh, that needs to be carried over into this episode. But what we did... Um, we went back to Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and Ephesians chapter 4, and we essentially made a list of all of the gifts that are explicitly mentioned in Scripture. And then we just briefly defined each one of those. But as we defined each one of those gifts, we broke them up into two separate categories. So we talked about permanent gifts, those gifts that are permanent. I mean, I think that really speaks for itself, those gifts that last through the entire church age. Uh, So we highlighted those gifts. Uh, And then the second category that we discussed were the temporary gifts. And we just, I think, TJ, you maybe even spoke on that. You just gave a quick flyover of those gifts because we wanted to save them for this episode. 
but we labeled those gifts as the temporary gifts or the revelatory gifts. Mm-hmm. They are gifts of the Spirit that were used for a specific time, a limited time, for a specific purpose. So what we believe the Scripture lays out those categories. Again, go back and listen to the previous episode, and you'll see that. Um, go look through those passages that we mentioned that highlight the gifts of the Spirit, and you'll at least get the uh, full list of the gifts but we're going to help kind of differentiate and break down those two categories, specifically here with the temporary gifts. Yeah, I love that. Uh, appreciate you recapping that for us, because, uh, again, that is foundational to this conversation. Uh, and so now, essentially, this is really kind of a part two uh, episode from a carryover from the previous one um, in the sense that now we're going to drill down on the temporary gifts. We're going to drill down on those gifts which were only um, given during the 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 apostolic area era and again we'll we'll explain that as we go and so um with, with that in mind Lance let, let me kind of preface this conversation very briefly and just say um that there are essentially two schools of thought uh th- there's a spectrum in, in some sense you got some that maybe would would be um different varying degrees in, in these camps but you've got kind of two different uh, approaches to the way that you might understand those those gifts. We clearly, in calling them temporary gifts, we have we've we've played our hand already. We we would say these gifts do not exist. There are do not exist today. There are those brothers who would say that they do continue. They do exist today. Now I want to be charitable. I want to be um, I want to be kind. I I, I do want to say that there are. Uh, men that I respect who would disagree with us on this issue, and and that's okay. Um, I'd, I'd frankly, Lance, you could probably speak to this more than I could, but I, I would guess that we're probably in the evangelical minority on where we stand. I, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing necessarily. It's just kind of the reality. Um, that's just my guess. Um, but again, w- we're bound by the Word of God, and so our, our goal today is to kind of— I don't know, preview or point to kind of the, the controversy and say, these are the two camps. And then we're going to try to make a case for why we hold to the fact that these are temporary gifts. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, man, that, that that's a great start. In other, in other words, uh, what you're saying is that if there's disagreement here, that doesn't label one as being a heretic or a false right. teacher um, right. who doesn't agree with the cessationist position. And we're going to kind of get into defining those terms. Um, yeah. So of course uh, we want to show grace and kindness and compassion to those uh, that we disagree with on this issue. Um, you know, one of those guys that I think you mentioned uh, w- would be a John Piper. We would probably mm-hmm. disagree with him on this issue. A Wayne Grudem. I think you've right. got later on um, uh, some discussion about him and his position yeah, first and foremost, man, those guys will know more, uh, generally speaking, about Scripture than I ever will in like mm. five lifetimes. But we just happen <laughs> to disagree with them on this particular issue um, because we think there are biblical grounds to disagree with their position. And that's basically what we're going to lay out this entire episode. Right. Yeah, that's 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 really good. Um, <clears throat> with that being said, let's let's define some terms. I think that's helpful. We've uh, done that throughout this this series. Uh, so let's let's define some terms. Lance, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the first one. 
and, and ask you to define it, and then I'll I'll take the second one, and, and we can just kind of work that way. So there are two camps really when it comes to understanding. Uh, the miraculous gifts, uh, the visible sign gifts, gifts like healings, miracles, tongues. Uh, we referenced those in the previous episode, but there are two camps. There's continuationist and cessationist. Now, those those terms, uh, in some sense, identify their meaning in and of themselves. But Lance, explain to me what the continuationist belief is. What does it mean to say you're a continuationist? Yeah, so a continuationist. So they they believe that the miraculous gifts, the sign gifts, the temporary gifts, they believe that those gifts continue. And so you mentioned a, a couple of those gifts, uh, the gift of healing, uh, the gift of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, uh, the gift of prophecy, the gift of miracles. If you go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll see those gifts lumped together. So they would mm-hmm. argue that those miraculous sign gifts have continued. In other words, they are still active from the time that they began in the first century until modern times, until right now, uh, 2021. So you would find denominations such as your Charismatics, uh, Pentecostals, Assembly of God, uh, those types of denominations. And I would even throw in there um, non-denominational churches that have a charismatic background um, yeah. would, would also land on this uh, this particular uh, uh, position. So uh, some of them, would say, yeah, that these gifts have continued um, since apostolic times. Some of them would even argue that these gifts have recently been restored to the church, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. that there's been some sort of a revival in relationship to these gifts, that they may have been gone for a little while, but now they're back. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the maybe an overview, a flyover, a broad definition of or continuationist. Um but typically that's where they would land on this issue. Yeah, that was that was very succinct and and really if you've studied in this world, you know that Lance, you just you just wrapped up a lot of content in a very short amount of time because there's a lot more that can be said. Uh, but for our purposes, I think that was spot on. Uh, so that's one side. One side says that those gifts continue. Um, now, some of them, Lance, as you mentioned, some think that those gifts are alive and active in the church. You have some that call themselves uh, maybe on the, the the softer side that would say they think that they could be, but we're not sure that we've seen them. You, you kind of got the, the, the spectrum within that bunch. But on the other side, you have what we would term cessationists. So continuationist believes that those gifts continue. The cessationist, you and I, would believe, uh, we believe that those gifts have ceased. Uh, that they no longer exist, that they are, in fact, temporary. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that we uh, don't think that they ever existed before. We just believe that the those particular gifts, the sign gifts of healing, of speaking in tongues, of interpretation of tongues, of miracles, the ones that you mentioned, those gifts ceased. They stopped being given to the church when the apostles died, when the canon of Scripture was complete, no longer part of 
the repertoire that the Holy Spirit gives. Um, so that's where we would land. We would say those gifts do not exist today. Now, Lance, immediately we need to make some clarifications. Uh, in, in other words, what do what do, what are we not saying, right? By by holding the cessationist position, you know, because I hear it all the time, we get pushback on. Well, are you, you you know you say X Y and Z? What what are some misconceptions of our position before we even begin? Yeah, at least to kick us off here, I would say that we are not saying that the Holy Spirit has ceased working. Um, I, I have been accused of this uh, multiple times. Uh, people have said of me that I do not believe in the Holy Spirit because I mm. take this and on spiritual gifts. Uh, I've got to put that on the record now. I affirm the Holy Spirit. We are doing a series <laughs> on the Holy Spirit. So just because uh, I land on the cessationist side of the argument or the debate, that is not articulating that somehow the Spirit isn't working. In fact, I would argue the complete opposite. The Spirit right. is actively working today. Uh, I, I've heard that same type of thing, almost as if uh, we give all the credence to God the Father, God the Son, and that the Holy Spirit is just an afterthought. Uh, that's not where we stand, and that's a good clarification. Uh, in a similar sense, we also are not saying that the Holy Spirit does not continue to do miraculous works. Um, this is a huge misconception. A lot of times people hear cessationism and they hear that the miraculous activity of the Holy Spirit has ceased. That's not what we're saying. Um, we are not saying that the, that the Holy Spirit can't do miraculous works. We're not saying uh, that he can't heal someone inexplicably. In fact, we would say that miraculous works happen all the time because dead sinners are coming to life. There, there's a, a rebirth that happens. That is a divine miracle, and we believe it happens all the time. Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit can and does do miraculous works even now. Uh, he's not in a box, as, as oftentimes uh, people like to say. Uh, instead, what we're saying is that the spiritual gifts specifically given to individuals that is associated with those activities, that those gifts have ceased. So Lance, any clarifying comments there on, on, on that statement? Gosh, I mean, <laughs> man, we could spend the entire episode just, just kind of camping here. Um, yeah, I mean, a couple things I, that, that I would add to that. Um, it, we absolutely believe that God can still heal somebody and that God can still perform a miraculous work or deed. Um, so we believe in the supernatural. We believe those things can yes. happen. We, we, we are not putting God in a box. We are not putting the Holy Spirit in a box. We're, we're not telling God what he can and cannot do. Like right. That's not where we're going with this. Um, so some have even said um, that the cessationist hold the scripture in higher regard than the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, some, some have said, you know, we believe in the father, the son and the Holy scripture, you mm. know, and have kind of labeled us uh, to believe that way that we just set the spirit to the side. That's not what we're saying at all. When, when we develop right. this argument and, and that's not what we're trying to get at with this particular episode. Let me say one more thing. And I'm going to send it back to you. Yeah. 
but yeah. I do appreciate what you said when you made the comment about spiritual gifts being given to individuals. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're, we're talking categorically about two different things here. On, on the yes. one hand, we are saying that the Holy Spirit did give certain individuals certain miraculous gifts for a limited time. That is categorically different than God performing a miracle now. So we're talking about two completely different things here. We're talking right. about, yes, a miracle, but categorically we are talking about that miracle taking place differently. Not that the miracle yes. is different, but the means of that miracle is different. I love that you said that, the means of the miracle. That's exactly right. It's exactly where I wanted to go next. In other words, let's say, Lance, that I've got you know some kind of medical situation going on and I, I'm like super upset because I've got, you know, a big, you know, I stubbed my toe and it's like real swollen or whatever. And I go to you and I'm like, man, I need you to pray for this. And you pray and you ask the spirit to heal or God to heal. And the Holy Spirit miraculously heals my, my stubbed toe, like instantly that can, that can happen, but you do not have the gift of healing. Whereas in the first century during the era of the apostles, you would have had individuals who had a particular gift by which they could heal. In fact, we see that actively with the apostles. I mean, Peter's shadow falling over people is is healing them, um, touching a garment and then letting it go across the town and somebody else touches it. Now, all of a sudden, they're healed from, from a disease. That's that's a gift of, of healing that's different than an act of healing, uh, whereas previously it was coming through the means of the spiritual gift, now it may come through the means of prayer. And so the means, the channel by which the, the miracle happens is different. Yeah. The, and I, I think th- those categories have to be in mind. They have to be in mind uh, as we continue this episode, because that's what we're, that's ultimately what we're trying to develop. We're not throwing God in a box and saying the miraculous is over. What we are saying is that these particular gifts are over because they were used for a specific purpose at a specific time. That's all we're saying here with this argument. Anything to add to that in terms of laying out definitions, categories, et cetera, before we actually get into the evidence? No, I think that's, I think that's good, and hopefully we've established that, uh, that foundation because that is, that is necessary. Um, now, I, I want us to spend the bulk of the rest of the episode hashing out the actual case, uh, the, the, the evidence, wh- why we hold the position that we do. Um, but I do want to at least briefly mention the arguments for continuationists. Now, again, I'm not a continuationist, um, so I'm not going to advocate for these positions. In fact, we're not going to develop them. I just want to mention them uh, as a means of fairness and, and to kind of set up our mm-hmm. response. So uh, feel free to add to this, comment on this, but I'll just kind of f- run through these real quick. Okay. This is a brief overview, uh, very, very uh, quick flyby, but these are a couple of the arguments that you'll, you'll often hear. Uh, in, in terms of continuationists, they would argue that the burden of proof is on cessationists to indicate that the new those, those gifts have ceased uh, because the New Testament nowhere says that they're going to cease during the church age. Um, that That is um, one of their stronger arguments. They say, look, 
unless we have a, a, an indication that they're going to stop, then we should not assume that they're going to. Okay. That's their typically one of their first appeals. Uh, in some cases they will appeal, uh, to individual passages, uh, which could be interpreted to suggest that they will last all the way um, through the end of the church age. Uh, okay, and another argument that they'll make is that the New Testament, um, and this is kind of related, but that the New Testament only speaks of the church age, right? Like there's, when you get after after the days of Pentecost, it is just the era of the church. Uh, and so one of their pushbacks against our argument is that we split the church age into the apostolic era, uh, which is the the time of the apostles, and then the post-apostolic era. So that's after the apostles die. Now we've entered into a new phase of church history. They say we've imposed that onto the New Testament. Uh, that's not explicitly stated, okay? The, the last argument, any comments on those before I, I mention kind of their last one? Yeah, before you get into the last one, I would just yep. bounce back to the first one, and uh, I would say, look— uh, of course, when we are studying and interpreting Scripture, um, we are looking for um, we are looking to build theology based off explicit statements in Scripture. However, mm-hmm. when explicit statements in Scripture aren't there about a particular issue, the, the next step in line would be: could it or can it be reasonably deduced from Scripture? Okay. So, I mean, just kind of a rebuttal to that point um, about, well, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says these gifts will cease. Um, There's nowhere in the New Testament that says these gifts will continue either. Okay. Mm So Mm -hmm. if we're looking for explicit statements to to just finalize and end this debate, they're not there. So we want to reasonably work through Scripture to see if we can deduce the Spirit's work uh, on this issue or, um, you know, to, to help us come to a conclusion here. I think that's, man, I think that's a good word. That's a, a helpful reminder because, as you said, Lance, if there were an explicit statement, then this episode would have been a lot shorter. Uh, there, would, there would be nothing else that really needs to be said. And so when there's not an explicit statement one way or the other, we're going to, as you said, we're going to look to deduce based on the art. And that's what we're going to do. Um, so with that being said, I, I want to turn last to maybe the most frequent argument that I hear for continuationism. And this is probably one that you've heard a number of times too. And that is that there are somewhere around 500 million Christians who claim charismatic experiences. So it's a subjective argument, uh, essentially. Uh, well, I don't know it from Scripture. I don't know what Scripture teaches explicitly on this, but I know that you know person A, B, or C has seen this, has been around somebody that has it. They've they've witnessed it. They know um, those experiences. When you put them all together, there has to be validity to it. So it's an appeal, really, to the the mass experience of so many people. Yeah, that man, and that is true. And and you're right and accurate on those numbers. We're talking about 500 million people professing Christians who, who claim uh, certain experiences. Uh, to that point, and then we'll start getting into this case that we want to build. To that point, I would just say if you go back to Second Peter chapter one, uh, the apostle uh, Peter, he talks about. 
he talks about the transfiguration of Christ, and he talks about witnessing and experience that particular event. But then he goes on to say, but we have the more sure word, the prophetic yes. word. So he actually, he places scripture above his experience, even though his experience was authentic, real, it's recorded in the Gospels. He says, look, don't believe me and my experience. Believe the word of God. Okay, so, yeah, of course, you know, we, the, 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 again, there's nothing wrong with experience. P- Peter says that in Second Peter 1. But we want to hold to the more sure word when we are building an argument or a case. That's a good reminder for all of us, myself included, even in this episode, because we can <laughs> we can lie to ourselves. Our experience may not align with the word of God. The word of God is the final authority, as you said, it's the more sure foundation. Uh, what what a good word. So that's kind of the and, and if you're a continuationist, you think we we haven't fairly presented it. I understand. That was a very brief thing. I know that there's probably uh, strong arguments that have been made, but I don't want to spend the bulk of our time there because you and I have have done the research. We've we've prepared. We're confident in the camp we're in, and now we want to make a case. We want to make an appeal for our cessationist position. Uh, So this is why we would argue that those gifts, those miraculous gifts like uh, speaking in tongues, uh, healings, miracles, those types of, of, of spiritual gifts, that those gifts have ceased. And we, we've laid out six uh, arguments uh, in in the way of, of presenting and kind of putting together this case, and I, I think it would be helpful just to kind of run through them uh, one by one. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're interested in this, your pastor, Tom Pennington, has preached a sermon called A Case for Cessationism. I've listened to this thing three or four different times. I think it's the best resource that I would ever recommend on this subject, uh, where he where he essentially tackles these same things, and and I've used his sermon uh, as a, a rough guide for us. So uh, if, if you're interested in diving more in, uh, that sermon will be helpful for you. Um, so Lance, first first case, or excuse me, the first argument in our case for cessationism would be the testimony of miracles in biblical history. The testimony of miracles in biblical history. Now, I think you mentioned this uh, at some point in the podcast before, uh, but it's it's interesting. The first time I had I um, came across this argument that was pointed out, I was I think I was taken aback um, that throughout Scripture, well, we tend to think of of Scripture as this uh, just this land like like this landfill of all these miraculous events. But there's really only three periods of time where God works miracles through men. Could, could you identify those three eras and, and, and kind of the significance of God making, uh, of God using men as miracle workers? Yeah, you know, man, I, I always thought that the Bible is just full of miracles. Mm-hmm. Like you just mentioned, TJ, I, that, that's I, I grew up thinking that that every page Same. had some sort of miracle on it. Okay, so I, I don't want to devalue the miraculous, but right. I, I do want to, you know, get rid of that notion that every page of scripture is just loaded with miracles because that's mm-hmm. just not that's just not accurate. Um, it, and it, especially and especially miracles that are worked through the hands of men. 
right? Like I, like I'm in, I'm in Genesis one with my congregation right now. Every time that God opens his mouth, there's divine work happening. It's, it's miraculous in that sense. It's, it's not natural. It's supernatural, but God is not working through the means of human, of human hands. He, he's speaking creation into existence. We're talking about men having some kind of supernatural ability to perform miracles that like never happens uh, throughout the history of, of, of biblical uh, revelation. That, it's way more rare than, than I realize. Yeah. So if you do, if you do a survey of all of scripture, Genesis to revelation, and you were to document every time a miracle happened in scripture, what you would come across would, would, would be these three clusters of time periods where you see miraculous works at their peak. Now, I, what I'm about to present, I am not saying that there are no miracles outside of these time periods, mm-hmm. because there are. But what I am saying, and to your point, TJ, is that during these three time periods that you see these clusters of miracles God was using men to perform them. He was using people to perform them. Okay, so uh, the, these three time frames, these three sections, these three clusters of miracles, uh, they began with Moses and Joshua. They began with Moses and Joshua. Um, secondly, uh, they continued with Elijah and Elisha. Okay. Thirdly, they continued with Jesus and the apostles. So if you survey all of Scripture, those three clusters that I just mentioned would be the time periods when you see an explosion of miraculous work through men. Again, Moses and Joshua, that was a rough, uh, roughly 65-year period. Elijah and Elisha, that was also about a 65-year period of uh, miraculous works. And then when you get to the New Testament with Jesus and the apostles, that's roughly a 70-year period. So in all of biblical revelation, which spans um, a couple thousand years, you, you have these clusters of miracles, which really adds up to about 200 years of mm. significant miraculous work out of the entire biblical narrative. I'm, I'm really glad you ran through that. And uh, it, it it truly is amazing once that when when you have that category in place and then you start to examine scripture and go wow it, it really does just seem to fit in those eras i mean like you said there are there are standalone types of of miracles that maybe occur through men uh, occasionally but but you're talking about obviously all the works of moses uh, the works of Joshua. You're talking about uh, Elijah calming down fire from heaven. You're talking about the apostles doing the healings. And then you realize, whoa, this was only during really small periods of, of time over the course of biblical revelation. Now, that in and of itself testifies to the fact that God does not ordinarily, over the course of time, work through humans, through human instruments to do miraculous things. That the, It's a rare instance in and of itself. But more importantly, even than that, is the fact that in each of those instances, the purpose of those gifts was not just, hey, God's bored, or hey, this is, it's been a while, it's been a few hundred years since we had one of these people, let's just throw, you know, like, like let's spice up the story. The, the 
purpose in every single case was to confirm the credentials, okay? That the individual who, who receives these gifts is being confirmed as one who is speaking or who is uh, revealing the Word of God. So think, for example, think about Moses. Think about what Moses writes. I mean, he writes the Torah. He, 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 he gives the law. And so in in Moses's case, he's being validated. We we see this. Remember when when Moses is uh, speaking to God, he he's resisting. How how am I going to to handle uh, Israel? Are they gonna Are they gonna believe me? Um, you know, what about Pharaoh? Is he gonna Is he gonna believe what I'm what I'm saying? And in Exodus chapter four, uh, God says that He's going to give him Aaron. He's going to put His words in his mouth. So God's saying, I'm going to speak through through what you're doing. And then he says in Exodus 6 that before Pharaoh, you're going to be able to, to give these signs as a way to demonstrate that I am Yahweh, that I am who I say I am. And so he, he's validating the words that Moses speaks through the signs. And we see the same thing in the other Old Testament revelation. And then, of course, in the New Testament, I'm thinking in particular Jesus's ministry. I mean, Jesus himself says that he performs these signs as a way to validate that he is sent from the Father. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 36, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing, Jesus says, the miraculous things that he's doing, bear witness that the Father has sent me. That's what he says. And then in the very next chapter, we could do this on and on throughout the Gospel of John, but in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And John chapter 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. It, it validates his ministry. That's the purpose. Uh, th- those divine, uh, those divinely appointed messengers who are speaking and establishing the word of God are confirmed as those who are credible uh, in whom God has put his very words. And so it's always an act of revelation, as you mentioned. These are revelatory gifts. Gosh, man. I mean, I, 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 this is about to be a two-hour episode. I, know, I, mean, I, I was know. just looking at the time on this thing, and it's like, dude, we are only on point number one on this. <laughs> uh, it's but, too good. Yeah, man, I affirm everything that you said there and would love to just bounce off of uh, so many of those points that you made, man. We could rabbit trail on that all day mm-hmm. long. But let, let me just make one. You mentioned here at the end of, uh, of your case there that, you know, these were revelatory gifts, but they started with Moses. You know, you mentioned that Exodus chapter four passage where Moses is like, look, <laughs> how is anyone going to believe that I actually met with you? You know, right. you just told me your name. I am right. Well, how, how, how are people going to believe that? And so God gives him three miraculous signs, three miracles to perform, to Mm -hmm. validate him. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're saying. The point of this miraculous work or this miraculous gifting to kind of take it back to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit himself gifted individuals in the New Testament with the ability to perform miracles for the purpose of validating his word. That's the point, and you made that clear. Yeah, I mean, the, when you see that and you realize, 
God did not work predominantly through human instruments throughout the course of time, but only in rare instances. And in doing so, when he did when he did these things, he did so to validate them. He gave the apostles. I mean, think about the amount of claims that they were battling in the first century. Well, who are you going to believe? Well, you're going to believe the one who just healed someone. You're going to believe whenever a Pentecost happens and there's this miraculous demonstration of of tongues and they're speaking in a language. Whoa, like that's that's from God. That's the real thing. And that's what we see here. We see a validation of the messengers. And so when we see those things in biblical history, we realize there's revelation taking place. It doesn't happen often. And when it does, it's to validate the messenger who is speaking for God. So that is point number one. As you said, we got five more to go. Uh, hopefully we can run through this, but it's worth it, I think, to have this conversation. So number one, the testimony of miracles in biblical history. Number two, second, second uh, argument in this case, the termination of the office and the gift, the spiritual gift of the apostle. Take take us through that. What, what, what do we mean whenever we we're putting together a case for cessationism and we say that the office and by by association the gift of the apostle has ceased? Yeah, if you go back to Ephesians chapter four, that's where the apostle Paul identifies the office of apostleship. In other words, there were certain people in the New Testament that were placed by God. Uh, into this uh, particular office. If you go back and read Galatians chapter 1, you'll see this. Paul says, look, I'm, I'm an apostle because I was appointed by Jesus Christ. So when we're talking about the termination of the office and gift of apostle, we are talking about a limited gift for a limited people, a limited gift for a limited people. So um, just just to build on that, uh, build on that office, uh, there were three main qualifications that you had to meet in order to be an apostle. In other words, it just wasn't this, uh, you know, this random job that you could just uh, aspire to and then just ultimately be. Um, first off, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. Acts chapter one verse twenty-two outlines that clearly. Secondly, you had to be personally appointed by Christ. Okay, that <laughs> again, I want to I want to say that again. You had to personally be appointed by Christ. And then thirdly, you had to be able to work or perform miracles. The, the, the great text for that one would be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Yep. Literally, the sign of an apostle was being able to perform miraculous works. So from, from the negative, if you could not perform miracles, if you could not perform he- healings, you would never be considered an apostle because that was one of the uh, one, one of the credentials. That's so right. that gift, so we're, we're talking about that gift and that office was limited to a select few. It was limited to a, a select uh, people. Uh, very, very few, by the way. Uh, I think in the New Testament, in terms of apostles, of course, we would say the 11. Uh, we mm-hmm. would say the Apostle Paul, that he was... Uh, placed in that position in Acts chapter 9. Galatians 1 also records that. Um, you could argue James from Galatians chapter 1 would also fall into the apostolic category. A little debate on that. That's neither here nor there, by the way. Um, but anyways, I'm going to send it back to you. No, that's uh, th- that's really good. And, and I appreciate you outlining those things for us and doing so very explicitly. Those, those verses 
uh, are are straightforward and and there's really no debate on on those issues. Now, the reason why we're confident in saying that that office has ceased is because you had to be personally appointed by Christ. So that's not happening anymore. And you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ there. That is impossible for someone today. Uh, Now, all received a specific revelation um, on the road to Damascus. But Paul's apostleship, he defended that. And I mean, with fervor, because there were some there were some questions about that. There there were some. Wait a second, we're not really sure about this guy. He he had persecuted the church and all these things. So he goes way out of his way uh, to to demonstrate and to validate that he truly is an apostle. Well, that can't happen today. Uh, you cannot be personally appointed by Christ. You cannot be one who is a witness of the resurrected Christ. And therefore, that particular gift of the uh, the gift of the apostle and by extension, the, the office has ceased. And because of that, we would say then there becomes a distinction in the church era. You have the apostolic era and you have the post apostolic era. So some would say continuations want to say that that's an arbitrary uh, delineation, but we think very clearly from the new Testament that there is a there, there's a stopping point where apostles cease, and then that becomes important uh, because of the next uh, argument in the case. For hold, hold on. Oh, sorry. Go. Let, let, let me let me pop in here just to, yep, to do. Um, make another comment about about the uh, the gift and office of apostleship. If you remember back to Acts chapter one, this is after Judas has committed suicide. Uh, there's only eleven apostles. Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 1 and you go to Acts 1 verse 20, the apostles actually go back to Psalm 109 verse 8, and they understand that they must fill Judas's spot. Okay, Hmm. so they select another man to fill Judas's spot, giving uh, now that 11 turning to 12 apostles. Okay, so they fill that spot, and those are those credentials that we mentioned earlier. Okay, so when Acts chapter 1 ends, Acts chapter 2 starts, there are 12 apostles. They have filled that spot. Of course, Paul is unique. You've already mentioned that. But once you get to Acts chapter 12, James the apostle, he dies. Okay, he, 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 he is killed. But you notice that his spot is never filled again. That's right. Not one time in the That's book good. of Acts do you see a filling of the apostles beyond what we see in Acts chapter one, and that even was a fulfillment of prophecy. Man, I I wasn't even ready for that. That was bonus material, not even on the God. Outstanding work. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that was great. I'm glad you I'm glad you you jumped in to say that. That was well worth the interruption and the flow. Okay, so uh, yeah, so sorry. Part, uh, no, no, I'm glad you did. First, we're, we're making our case here. The first argument, miracles in biblical history, the way that they work, their function, uh, their li- their limited scope. Number two, the termination of the office and the gift of the apostle, mm-hmm. uh, which we just highlighted, which leads us to number three. Lance, take us through number three, or at least introduce that to us uh, in terms of, of, of where we're going next. Yeah, point number three would be the foundational nature of, of New Testament apostles and prophets. Okay, and I think the emphasis with this argument, or the emphasis 
uh, that we want to stress with this point would be the foundational nature of the Mm -hmm. apostles and the prophets. Uh, Let me put it this way, and then I'm going to swing it back to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 is a critical verse for this argument. In in other words, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20 establishes the apostles and New Testament prophets as the foundation of the church. As the foundation, we get this. We understand that this, uh, the, what this is illustrating here. How many times do you lay a foundation to a home? Well, you mm. only lay the foundation once and you build upon it. And, and, and that's exactly what we have here in Ephesians chapter 20. God, through Christ and the Spirit, all of them are using the apostles and the prophets as the foundation for the New Testament church. I, I mean, I don't know what, I'm just going to restate what you said in a different way because you just nailed it. Uh, let, let me read Ephesians 2, uh, verse 19, uh, leading into 20. Verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he's talking about the local church built, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So as you said, Lance, you have a foundation. That foundation is established upon the apostles and the New Testament prophets. And some would argue, well, maybe that's an Old Testament. No, it's New Testament because in chapter 3, just a few verses later in verse 5, it says, verse 4 says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So same two categories, prophets, New Testament prophets and apostles. Mystery has now been revealed post-Christ. That that is uh, the the foundation. And as you mentioned, this imagery is that of a foundation being established and then built upon. And so the apostles, the prophets, now you've got miraculous gifts. You've got unique offices that are only held for a temporary season because it's establishing a foundation upon which the rest of the church will be built. And Christ becomes the chief cornerstone and the work of the the prophets and the apostles was to lay the foundation. And once the foundation is laid, it's done. So we don't, we don't need any more building materials for the foundation. The foundation is established, and now the church is being built. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And and to add to that, it is the apostles who were then writing about the church, writing instructions Mm. to the church about Jesus Christ and how they should conduct themselves within the church. Okay, so again, this is a revelatory function. This This is that foundation uh, that that's being built. Of course, the church is being established, literally established. But how the church should conduct herself comes from apostolic authority. Again, that revelatory nuance that is um, connected to these temporary gifts. Yeah, that's 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 outstanding. Um, okay, so that's the first three 
arguments in, in our case for cessationism. We've talked about miracles. We've talked about the termination of the office and the gift of the apostle. We've talked about the foundational nature of New Testament apostles and prophets. Number four, let's talk about the nature of miraculous gifts. Now, this argument, um, in putting together our case here, this argument responds to what we often see today in charismatic circles, okay? So the idea here, again, we're talking about the categories you laid out for us earlier. We're talking exclusively about the category of spiritual gifts. So if we're talking about spiritual gifts, the Spirit, the same Spirit from the New Testament is the same Spirit who gives gifts today. Well, if the Spirit were giving believers today the, the these miraculous gifts, they would be the same as what we see in the New Testament. But what we see today by the, these claims, by uh, th this charismatic movement, does not line up at all with what we see in the New Testament. In fact, they are uh, in many ways like complete contradictions of what we see in the New Testament. We don't see uh, the gifts from the New Testament. We do not see those things being manifested today. So if we're going to make the subjective argument, as continuationists ha have attempted to do, then we need to do so with biblical categories. And in doing that, there is uh, those biblical gifts do not, we do not see instances of those. Um comments on that, Lance? Thoughts on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's really the whole point of this argument. The The point is, okay, let's go to the New Testament. Let's identify the gifts. Let's see how they are defined in the New Testament. And then once we have those definitions, let's use those definitions as sort of a First John chapter 4, as a, as a testing of the spirits, right? Like, Let's let, let's use right. let's use this terminology. Let's use this definition, and that's the standard for how we would evaluate what is claimed today. Okay, mm. uh, is that where yep. you're going with this particular that's, point? That's exactly right. So let's just let's just yeah. pop through. Let's just pop through a couple of examples. Okay, uh, for ex for example, the gift of tongues. Okay, when we see tongues in the New Testament. The, the 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 Greek word there is the word for language. Okay, these are known, demonstrable languages. People are speaking these languages. So in, in Acts chapter two, uh, when when Pentecost happens, I mean, th these are known human languages. People speak these things. Okay, and so when somebody spoke in a tongue, what they were doing is they were speaking a language that someone else could understand. Okay, there's there's nothing ecstatic. There's nothing that uh, it's just kind of babbling that doesn't make any sense. But that's what we see today. We see people who claim to be speaking in tongues, and yet there's no known language. It's not a known language. There, there's no one who can understand those particular words because it's not a, a an actual language. Um, and in addition, we could also point out. That in the New Testament, is we especially see this in 1 Corinthians 14, but the gift of tongues was a gift that was meant to edify others. It was meant to be in a public worship service. Someone would get up and speak miraculously through the Holy Spirit, through the gift. They would speak in the gift of uh, using the gift of tongues, and then someone else would be there to interpret. And the interpretation would say, 
uh, would indicate what had been said. And the means was to be an edification to the people to say, look, God is with us. The Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. has gifted this man to speak in this tongue so that now we can know that he is validating that this is truly of God. But we don't have that happening today. Instead, we have people using what's called private prayer languages, and they're just babbling nonsense. That is not what we see in the New Testament. Uh, The only thing that you could say that we have in common uh, from the first century to today is that people are calling it the same thing, but the actual gift itself is not showing up. It's the opposite. Man, oh my goodness. Again, there's so many great points that you made that that we could continue rolling with here. Mm -hmm. So, you are defining the gift of tongues based on the New Testament that the gift of tongues is knowing an authentic or it, it's a, it's an authentic human language that wasn't known before that you instantaneously know like yes how, how valuable would this be in seminary man oh, I just be crushing Hebrew and Greek like oh, instantaneously. Man. I, so, I asked I asked a a missionary on the mission field I asked a missionary about this. And I, and I said, uh, I asked him about the gift of tongues and he said, he said, if, if we had the gift of tongues today, you know how valuable that would be for us. He said, they spend years learning languages. If we had the gift of tongues, we would send those who had that gift overseas. Hey, go talk to these people. You, you've got the ability to speak another language without having to learn it. It's supernatural, but that's not what we see. If we did, we'd send them over there. Instead, they're babbling in a private prayer closet, pretending to speak a language and claiming it's from the Holy Spirit when it's, in fact, it's just a bunch of gibberish. Uh, it's not the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, if you go, you, you mentioned it, if you go back and look at the word uh, the Greek word for tongues or language, it's the Greek word glossa or glossa, mm-hmm. which is where we get our English word glossary, which is mm-hmm. a compilation or compilation of, of words, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unfortunate that our uh, modern English translations continue to use the word tongue. You know, that's right. built off of a 15th, 15th, 16th century usage where back in the day, you would ask people, you know, what tongue do you speak? But mm-hmm. no one uses that word like that today. Instead, uh, you know, I might ask someone, what languages do you know? What language mm-hmm. do you speak? So I, I think, man, if if that word would just be translated language, it would clear up so much <laughs> confusion be, be, because that's what it is. It's an actual, authentic human language that wasn't known before. That's that's why it's a miraculous gift, man. That's defying natural laws of learning a language. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And it's and it's given, man, it's given to an individual, right? Like it's an individual for the purpose of edifying the church, uh for for encouraging the believers and to know that this individual has a gift that that came from the Holy Spirit. That's not their own doing. Um and we don't see that today. Uh, if we did, it would be incredibly useful. Uh, but God has has determined not to 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 use those gifts uh, it, during this era, uh, and that's just the way it is. Uh, you could do the same thing with other miraculous gifts. For example, prophecy, um, New Testament prophecy. Anytime someone spoke uh, in using prophecy, it was direct revelation from God, completely infallible. It was speaking in the place of God, thus saith the Lord. Uh, well, 
we don't have that today, and I'm confident of that. E- even leading proponents of the charismatic movement will not say that this is a thus saith the Lord. Um, in fact, Lance, at the beginning of this pandemic, we had some charismatic figures who were saying thus saith the Lord, and their claims have been demonstrably false. And that's in Deuteronomy 18. If this happens in the Old Testament, that that person, that false prophet would be killed. Purge the evil. We've talked about that before. Uh, that's not we don't have somebody that has the ability to do that today. There is no such thing as uh, someone speaking direct, infallible revelation from God at this point after the close of the canon. Yeah, so let's kind of let's combine tongues and prophecy here just for a second and uh and let me let me know if you're tracking with me here TJ to see okay. if I'm making sense. So, you're saying that the gift of tongues was essentially um divine revelation would come through the tongue speaker to let the church know that God uh, was speaking that God was with them. Um, in the same way that prophecy would ultimately be God speaking through an individual. Um, and again, this is all encapsulated here in the New Testament time, but, but I say all that to say you have these divine interactions from God through man to the church because at this point the New Testament hadn't been written and the That's New right. Testament wasn't complete so, so you know, the 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 churches, they, they didn't, you know, they couldn't open up to the Gospel of John, or they That's couldn't right. open up to First Timothy, or they couldn't open up to Titus one and understand the concept of elders. And instead, God was miraculously doing that for mm-hmm. a limited time to the completion of the New Testament. Come on, man. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. That's that's such a man. That's such a good job of identifying. The purpose of these gifts was was because they didn't have access to Scripture the way we do today. Hence, why you mentioned at the beginning, you, you mentioned that sometimes we are uh, accused of elevating Scripture above the Holy Spirit, almost as if Scripture has replaced the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're saying. We're simply saying that because the Holy Spirit finished His work of inspiring Scripture, that He has ceased to do the work which includes revelation of God because the canon has been closed. He continues to do other work. He continues to have other activities, other functions. We've identified those on this uh, podcast previously, but he no longer does revelation because he has finished that work. Just like Jesus no longer goes to the cross. That is finished. He he doesn't need to atone for sins. That has been accomplished. Uh, In the same way, revelation has been completed. Uh, the Holy Spirit no longer administers the gift of tongues to these churches because we don't need them. We've got, mm. we have Titus one, we have First uh, Timothy, we have the Gospel of John, uh, and so yes, tongues, prophecy, those things um, are, are we don't we don't see them in the same way. In fact, we only see um, really poor representatives. Uh, of them, uh, just shadows. They're they're. What's the word I'm looking for? They're they're not authentic. Um, they're they're just they're just charlatans that pretend. Uh, some of them 
maybe good and well-intentioned. Some of them may be manipulative, um, but we don't have anyone speaking in tongues or receiving the gift of prophecy like we saw in the New Testament. Yeah, man, that's so good. And that, that kind of segues, <laughs> I just, man, that's good. I just got to affirm what you said there. That, 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 is, that is pure gold, man. And that segues us in really to, to the next component of this argument, which would be the gift of healing. Look, if mm-hmm. we were to define healing in the New Testament, what really encapsulates healing in the New Testament would be that those healings defied all laws of nature. Mm. Okay, uh, that, that, that is the key that, that we have to hold to here. In other words, we're, we're, we're talking about miraculous works that, that cannot be explained, that don't have any other element uh, attached to it. Um, and we would say that those healings were complete. They were immediate. They were permanent. They were undeniable. It was all types of sicknesses, all types of diseases, all types of, uh, of healings. You know, it wasn't just healings at 7.30 p.m. on a, you know, Friday night right. in a gigantic arena. You know, that's just not how it worked in the New Testament. Where on, on the other hand, now in 2021, we, we've just seen a redefining of miraculous healing. So in other words, you know, TJ, if, if you were to call me and say, Lance, man, my, my back, <laughs> my back's killing me. I was squatting 500 pounds in the garage. I'm on the 12th rep. You know, uh, I think my back gave out here. Well, look, TJ, let me pray for you. If your back feels better later, I, I am thankful that God responded in prayer and I'm thankful that it does. But that would not be a miraculous healing like we see in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. What would be miraculous is if you were blind your entire life, squatting 500 pounds, and then I prayed for your blindness, and then all of a sudden you can see. There, there's categorically different here. Right. And, and even in that case, Lance, as we've pointed out, even in that case, that does not mean that you now have the gift of healing because right. you, you, God may have done a miraculous work through your prayer, which would indeed be a, a miraculous healing in that case. Uh, but if you had truly had the gift of healing, you should be in the hospital. You yep. should be in, you know, uh, the surgery wards and, and going through and making sure that any, I mean, when you read the new Testament and you read the way that, uh, like, like I mentioned, that, that Peter's shadow coming across people is healing them. I mean, like there, there's a supernatural, there's a gift to where when they decided that they wanted to heal someone through this, the, this gift of the Holy Spirit, they're healed. I mean, it, there was no question about it. It was complete. It was undeniable. It was permanent. It was immediate. Um, everything. There, there was nothing that couldn't be uh, uh, healed. They, they had access to, to, to heal anything. Uh, that's not what we see today. Um, side note, but I mean, do you remember when when COVID first happened? There, there was a um, Bethel Church. I'll just go ahead and mention them. Bethel Church claims to be able to do some of these things today uh, in today's world, and they canceled their. Um, they had to cancel. I'm sure you saw this. They had to cancel their their healing whatever they called it because of COVID-19. <laughs> I mean, just like the absurdity of that. Like they couldn't have their their Thursday evening, seven thirty little parade because they didn't want anybody to get sick. I mean, that's not the new Testament, uh, gift of healing. And so, 
uh, again, the inconsistency of these miraculous gifts. It's not what we've seen uh, on the pages of Scripture. Yeah, that's right, man. Well, again, we could, man, we could keep. <laughs> yeah, let's, the just, irony let's, let's just roll into hour two, man. Like, let's just keep going. Man, I'm still, I'm still laughing about the irony of, you know, claiming to be able to perform healings and miracles, but then having to cancel a service because of a COVID night. You know, like. Dude, that that's that the irony a legit thing yeah, yeah. and it, it's a legit thing that was on their website people you know kind of like and, and it's it's real man like like that really happened and yeah. the reason i mean it just demonstrates they didn't have they don't have the gift of that we've seen in the new testament it's just not there yeah well that, that moves us into uh what point is this this is going to be the fourth one or is this the fifth no, one no, yeah number this five is number five number five okay so the testimony of church history so I'll, I'll, i'm just going to give tj i'm going to give an overview yep. of where uh, we find miraculous gifts um specifically tongues um you know, so if we're looking at the time frame for miraculous gifts in the New Testament, and we'll, I'll just take gift of tongues here. So okay. the, the gift of tongues is mentioned in Acts chapter 2. It's also mentioned in Acts chapter 10. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 19, possibly Acts chapter 8. It isn't explicitly mentioned there, but there are some who think that it probably happened there. So okay. Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 28, covers about a 30-year period. So over those 30 years, you only have tongues mentioned explicitly three times. Now, we do not have time on this podcast to work through uh, those specific details. I mean, I think, um, actually, I'm I'm not even going to go there because we don't have time. Yeah. So tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts, the, the, those times. It's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, which was written around AD 55. But tongues isn't mentioned anywhere else in the New mm-hmm. Testament besides those spots, which is an indication of one, that it wasn't a priority, but two, as the New Testament began to be written and as the apostles began dying off, that this gift was no longer necessary. Yeah, that's man, that's really, really uh, significant. I think that if you look at just the chronology, the the development of of the New Testament, that as time goes on, you see less and less. I think two things are in play. One, the gifts are being employed less and less because the scripture is being more and more fulfilled. But also, I think you have Paul in particular preparing his churches to lean on the word of God and not on those particular gifts. I think he's, he, he's uh, giving them instruction because uh, their source of revelation is going to change. It will no longer be the tongue or the prophet. It will now be uh, the word of God and completed scripture. And um, I think that's exactly right. Now you, you mentioned the testimony of church history. There's kind of the, the biblical uh, framework around church history, but um, man, there's there's just so many things. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really jump into this just because we don't have time. But let's just say there's a who's who of theologians and pastors and great men of the faith um, that that hold to this exact same position. Now, this is not in and of itself. It's not an argument which wins the day. But when you've got all the other things in place, and then you think, hey, look, John Chrysostom, Augustine, Luther, Calvin, John Owen, Thomas Watson, John Gill, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, B.B. Warfield, I mean, you, you could just run down this list and you go, oh, all those guys 
also line up on this exact same issue. There's there's just a little extra thing to say. Look, we're not on an island, right? Like we're 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 not uh, we're we're not sitting over here all by our, all by ourselves. We talk about that. You pay attention to church history. Uh, by itself, it's not an ironclad argument, but you you use those men of the faith to say they they affirm what we're saying and um and those men along with a score of others uh would would find themselves in the same position i also find it noteworthy that for that big chunk of of time prior to essentially the azusa street revival right in the 1900s you, you didn't have any faking of these gifts really you so so it was kind of the consensus of church history over the course of time because there were no challenges to this. Nobody was pretending. Uh, you've had a a revitalization in many ways of this language, this charismatic movement, and so we're having to respond to it in new ways. But uh, uh, the, the the testimony of church history affirms exactly what we've been saying this whole time. Yeah, and I've, man, just just to add what you add to what you said there about church history, and then you can move us into the next point. Um, yeah, I, I would just say that the consistent testimony of the church has always landed on the cessationist position. Even even if they weren't using the same terminology that we're using in this episode in terms of right. continuationism and cessationism, because the quotes that you have mentioned here on the episode guide, you know, those guys are basically just saying that those signs have passed away. Or mm-hmm. they are they are gone. They they are no longer necessary. You know, we've kind mm-hmm. of refined that terminology a little bit because of really the the, the debate that is now present with this uh, particular topic. Um, but yeah, church history I think speaks on this and speaks on this very well in terms of our side of things. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, I wish we could spend more time on all of these things. We're, we're already running long, but let's run into the last, uh, our sixth uh, argument in our case for uh, the cessationist position. And that is one that we've alluded to uh, throughout this episode, but really the most significant one of all is the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, because of everything else that we've said, we are confident in the and the lack of a need for these gifts. This is, it's not a necessity. We don't, there's no purpose. There's no uh, reason for these gifts to exist anymore because we have revealed scripture uh, and scripture on its own is sufficient. It is enough. Uh, Thinking in particular of Hebrews chapter one, Uh, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. God spoke through Jesus. The written word was inscripturated, was canonized. And that written word, which we now hold, the completed canon of scripture, is sufficient. And no longer, God, God, in these last days, God has spoken to us. It's, it's uh, the perfect tense. It, it's it's been done. It has ongoing effects. That's what we see here. Uh, the scripture is sufficient. Yeah, man, that's great. Well, I think to you know wrap up and conclude this episode before we get into the uh, before we get into the initiative, uh, I think I would just kind of pose this question and uh, let's just kind of see where we go with it. Okay, you know why 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 does this matter? 
you know, why, why does this matter? Maybe you've never heard of this debate. Maybe you've never heard of this issue, these arguments or whatnot. And you may be thinking, well, I didn't know about it before and I'm fine and I was fine, but now I know about this. Well, what am I supposed to do with it? You know, wh- why does this matter? So at least uh, I think to, to, to kickstart this, I would say it matters because it matters to the Spirit. It matters to the Holy Spirit how we think about His gifting. And and just as we want to defend God and honor God in the way we think about Him, Christ as well, we, we need to do that with the Holy Spirit because He is a person, like we mentioned back in uh, one of the opening episodes to this series. This, this is critical. We, we must think rightly about His person. That's And that's a, that's a great reminder, and I would— echo that and say in addition these are these are scriptural matters I mean we need to understand scripture what, what does it mean whenever we see this um, especially uh, New Testament giftings um, in the first century how, how do we understand what those gifts are uh, love that you pointed that out first second second thing that comes to mind is this has implications for how we worship in the local church um, mm. if we're if we're in a local church where there's an expectation to have some of these sign gifts or where there's a, a perceived practice of them, especially especially if it comes down to those which speak of revelation, uh, whether that's via tongues, whether that's via prophecy or some other medium. If we're talking about extra biblical revelation, I mean, I'm talking like don't don't walk out of that place. Don't try. I mean, you better be sprinting. Because that's not a place where we need to be, right? The the scripture is sufficient, and if we're in a place where if you're if you're worshiping with a group of believers who, or at least those who claim Christ, and they are suggesting that they are hearing from God, um, I can tell you uh, with confidence, based on our position, that they are not only not hearing from God, but if they are delving into the supernatural, uh, we're talking about demonic type stuff, and so um, supernatural. Supernatural is not something to play around with when it comes to things like this. And so it, it, it affects the local church. It affects the way we worship and it affects the way that we uh, find ourselves and characterize uh, the local church. Yeah, that was free right there, man. That wasn't even on. <laughs> it, just, it just came to me. <laughs> that, that was free. Um, yeah, why it matters. Uh, and I, I would just add one more, and I'm not for sure if you have anything else you want to add to the uh, to this list, but I, I would say, look, the, the Holy Spirit gifted these uh, gifted these men, gifted these the early church with these gifts for a particular reason. Mm. However, in the same way, he has gifted Christians now with spiritual gifts for a particular reason. It's just not a revelatory reason, but but it still is a unique, specific reason just for you. And being able to edify other believers in the local church, and that yeah, let me just add too. Now that you say that, that it, I think it gives more significance when you when you come to this. To, if you come to the position where we're at, it gives more significance to the other gifts, which seemingly on the surface are less you know appealing. They're 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 less. Um, you know, grandiose or whatever else, but like you know, a gift of hospitality or administration, like. Those are vital to the local church, and I think it speaks really to the way in which the church is designed to function. Mm. Now that the foundation is in place, we're building up the church, and we're doing so with 
all the, the spiritual gifts in play. Um, we're, we're not looking around for the one that has the gift of healing. We're not looking around who's got the gift of apostleship, man. Like that's the one we need. Like we, we don't have to do that. Uh, we're, we're looking rather to, to Christ and, and the whole church comes together. I just think it gives more weight, more significance to those seemingly insignificant spiritual gifts. Rea- the reality is, is none of them are insignificant. They're all miraculous gifts from the Holy Spirit. But I think it gives us a deeper appreciate, uh, appreciation for those uh, when we understand these other gifts were temporary. They they established their, their purpose, but now the purpose is being relayed through other gifts, which aren't quite as as visible uh, yet are just as vital. Man, that man, that is so good. And that is, that is absolutely spot on, man. I appreciate you saying that. That that just makes this episode super practical. Like, I mean, this is a practical episode when you get down to it. Um, Well, to, to kick us off for the initiative here, man, I'll, I'll make it short. It's somewhat been my initiative with every episode, this series, but I I just want to take my understanding and thinking about the Holy Spirit back to the scriptures and to think of him afresh. In other words, working through this guide that you put together, by the way, thanks for doing that. Working Thank through you. this guide has helped me um, respect, honor, glorify uh, the, the Spirit even more in my own heart and mind because I'm seeing how his scripture has told us how he is. Mm. And uh, I, I want to keep believing about him exactly how the word is detailed and outlined him. That's a great word. Uh, appreciative of the way that you've, you've reminded me of that each and every week in, in fresh new ways too. Um, I, I think for my initiative, um, my, my approach would be, or my kind of comment here would be that we should approach these, um, this question with great humility um, and with great caution uh, because um First of all, we need to acknowledge that there are those who disagree. So even on our in our camp, man, like I, I, I do not want to have an ounce of hubris. Now I am convictional. I am con- committed firmly um, because I've I've confident in the in the presentation that we've made. Um, we said this last time. If we didn't hold to this, then we wouldn't believe it. We we hold to it because this is where we land biblically. Uh, but I want to do so with humility and and acknowledge that I can have brothers who may disagree with me, um, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to break fellowship with a brother over this. Um, however, there needs to be a, a significant amount of caution in this in this conversation because we are where we are, but if you go to the far opposite extreme on the other end, you can run into some very dangerous and scary mm-hmm. teachings very quickly. And so, um, so humility... Um, with you know seriousness and caution in the way that we approach these things, uh, because the implications can can get off the rail pretty quickly. Any 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 closing comments from you? That's all I got. An hour and a half of comments. I'm d- I'm done. I'm done, man. <laughs> yeah, if this is your first time listening to the Reformed Informants, uh, I, I'm pretty sure this is our longest episode. We we try not to do this, but uh, let's say you did just tune in for this one. Go back, maybe subscribe to our podcast. You can go listen to previous episodes, maybe on the shorter side. Uh, You can also find us on our YouTube channel. You can like us on Facebook at Reformed Informants. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at our underscore informants. And you can find links to all of our social media platforms 
all of our previous episodes in Reformed Informants gear. You can find that at our website, www.themagistiesmen.com slash Reformed Informants. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion, feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com. Thank you.